Depart Home is the eighth episode of the fifth season of Game of Thrones. It is the 48th episode of the series overall. It premiered on May 31st, 2015. I should say it premiered one fateful Sunday evening on yes. May 31st, 2015. <laughs> it, it was written enough. by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss and directed by returning director Miguel Sapochnik, who's poised to be a superstar Woo! for this year Game of Thrones finale, season eight on its way, um, full of full-length episodes. It's going to be ridiculous. I'm so amped. What were you going to say? You were just coming in hot right at the top Sorry, of the well, show there. You, <laughs> you cut out also, so I oh, couldn't okay. tell. <laughs> If you were still talking. It was basically. Um, I was just. <laughs> <laughs> please, please go on. Okay. All I wanted to say is we don't usually read the plot. I guess sometimes we do. But I feel like this time more than ever, the little plot summary of this episode is too good. Arya makes progress in her training. Sansa confronts an old friend. Cersei struggles. John travels. <laughs> yeah. John like travels the most mysterious. six feet in a canoe for yeah. <laughs> 90 seconds. The end of that episode with the wind and the lack of dialogue and those long, longing looks between Bran and Jon Snow. <laughs> it took me a second. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> this was a pretty big deal when, uh, when it, Landed on Sunday night, May 15th, or no, sorry, 2015, Sunday night, May 31st. The episode holds up. Where were you when Hard Home? Where was I when Hard Home premiered? I was in my living room watching it. That's (laughs) pretty cool. The thing is, though, is that this episode holds up so well, and it just brought back so many feelings of the first time it aired because this was the first time seeing hard home for all of us. And I just, you know, I think that this episode is one of those things where people are like, Oh, what's your favorite episode of game of Thrones? And this is frequently in people's top five, but you kind of forget about it. You know what I mean? Like it's a cliche thing. And then you go back and watch it. Like we've just done after slowly and painfully making our way through season five. And it just holds up. And so many of those feelings of not only is it a good episode by itself, but just where it comes in the season, it's just all together a really great time. That's a good point, having the slow burn, painstaking, each episode by each episode until reaching this one. It's like you can really see how much it shifts from the flow of the rest of the series up until this point. And you can really feel why it made an impact on people that mm-hmm. were big fans of the show. Yeah. Watching the series each week, every year. Let's say that you started watching Game of Thrones around season two because you heard it was good. And uh, the main character, the guy from Lord of the Rings, died at the end of the last season. So it was like, holy crap, look at that. And Breaking Bad's not on right now. So let's get into Game of Thrones. Let's say that you joined in season three. Either way, you've now had like let's just be conservative and call it three years of mm-hmm. of every every year there's like 10 or 11 weeks where you treat it like it's a sporting event and it's like oh football's on finally every sunday there's a match and the white walkers might win this week right exactly i think and i think that something like the whites and the white walkers and this whole army of the dead is something that we've talked about a lot and speculated about a lot but this is the first time we really truly understand its magnitude and see it and so it adds so much more to the match like you said because it's 
finally realizing what this truly is while being confronted with it head on. There was a lot of narrative payoff in this episode. We had a lot of time with Tyrion and Daenerys. The previous episode, we got a few moments where he was interacting with the Dragon Queen and we're like, oh my gosh, the show has turned a corner. Tyrion is talking to Daenerys. It's finally happening. And then now this episode, it lands like, okay, well, hard home. Who knows what this is about? Who cares what happens north of the wall? All I care about is Tyrion and Daenerys. Mm -hmm. Jorah becoming a contender for the fighting pits again. That's pretty interesting. I can't wait to see how that pays off and what will probably be an exciting episode nine. I'm really looking forward to that episode nine. But for now, in episode eight, it's probably all about the dialogue, right? Yeah. And so it was pretty cool. We got to hear about the Mad King from a perspective that she doesn't normally share with her advisors. And at this point, Tyrion's not yet her advisor. So there's some Daenerys that we haven't seen before. And obviously Tyrion's talking to someone in a way that he really hasn't because he's been traveling through Essos for the better part of this entire season. And now everything feels a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And now Sansa is talking to Theon and Theon's telling Sansa that, hey, guess what? You thought your two little brothers were dead, but I'm going to drop this bombshell on you. Accidentally, don't try, don't try to pry this out of me. Okay, go ahead. Don't try too hard. Oh, okay, I'll tell you. They're still alive. Which changes the game completely for her. Those things are kind of overshadowed when people think about the episode. Exactly. And that's exactly what I was thinking, too. Like the, um, We'll get into the I want to break the wheel moment mm-hmm. that was through every single trailer of this of season five before season five came out and you almost forget that because hard because so many of these other not so many but like you look at like some like battle of the bastards where it's kind of a bottle episode or blackwater kind of a bottle episode where you're just in kind of one spot is that true for both of those episodes? I sure both, hope so. I think they're both completely bottle episodes. Yeah. And Bl- so it, it feels a little bit not like it with Blackwater because King's Landing is so big and we go like all the way out into the bay with the right. ships. But I think that they still call it a bottle episode. Yeah, they're in the same they're in the same place. And so a place like Hardhome, I think, could have very easily been a bottle episode, but instead we get payoff from this entire season and we get um movement in any sort of direction i feel like especially in th- something like Tyrion's storyline all of their storylines it's like a mini Danny's, little season finale Sansa's. exactly and aria too i mean i think that before we even get to hard home we finally get payoff from all of these different characters that we've been trudging along with for the past seven episodes mm-hmm. and so i think that you could have split this episode in half pre hard home and hard home itself and they in and of themselves could have been really really great episodes and i think that on top of like i said them it being really well written episode well crafted episode it comes off of a rough season and i think that it's even the contrast is is starker (laughs) between that just because of where it's placed in the series overall so i'm thrilled with this episode I noticed the craft a lot when I was watching and I could see those uh, very specific decisions and those sort of artistic moments where they were uh, really trying to illustrate violence uh, when the White Walkers were attacking. And it felt there's a lot of elements from like those 28 Days Later style zombie movies where the zombies are really fast and they kind of twitch around and there's sort of like blood splattering and there's these grisly sort of 
carnal, primal, not carnal. <laughs> I guess sort of. I guess. <laughs> sort of. It might be. <laughs> it's just they're at least crazy, like just thrashing and gnashing and like throat and lung sounds. That mm-hmm. sounds like there's some blood in it. And they kind of like move in, in these very loose and violent ways. And all this had to have been planned for, you know, like thematically they were like we're gonna have this and it's gonna look this way in order to pull that off it's going to be lit here and it'll be extra scary if her children are the ones that do this and think about the heartstrings that will pull if they don't or if uh, carsey doesn't fight back and how cool is it that we are going to put this character in this episode and then kill her think about all that it almost feels like there's just all of these these conversations like in the last episode where uh we're in Littlefinger's brothel and that's cool and it's great to see um, what Lady Olena and he are doing to to mess with Cersei. But it's like the it's like the the inevitable conversation that exposes what is happening in the story. Where we're in hard home, we're actually seeing like things happen, and so we're seeing the people that make the show and all the artists get to sort of enact their craft and making something happen rather than mm-hmm. exposing also- an element of the story that George made up. They did a good job, you know? They did a great job, but it also exposes where all the budget went. That's true. <laughs> I was watching um, Aussie Man Reviews. If you guys haven't watched any of his stuff on YouTube before, it's pretty awesome. But his review for this episode, he put the Dorn spinning sequence next to John fighting the white, <laughs> the white sequence. And it was, I mean, it looked like a completely, it's like... Jamie's spinning around with, you know, in colorful clothing while John's got Longclaw and is fighting one of the White Walkers. It was so, it's like hard to believe that that's the same yeah. TV show, let alone the same season. That is pretty crazy. Yeah. But think crazy. about how much shit they have to do. Like, this is one episode that they made and there's 10 episodes in the season. So it's like, and they, they shot this in a totally different country with totally different people. It's a movie. It's a movie, but there's 10 movies. So it's like, yeah, that it, it makes sense that even though it was made by the same people, it makes sense that a fight scene like that could be bad from another, another episode. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. In, in comparison to this one. Yeah. It's just funny to see them side by side. That is and, really funny. Inter- I thought should... about it when I was watching it, actually. I was kind of like wondering why it was like hmm, what makes this more believable it's just a it's a genuinely amazing episode and so i'm just riding off of a high knowing that it holds up to the hype rewatch after rewatch and i just feel like this episode is a gift that keeps on giving and i could watch it all day what's your favorite part of the episode my favorite part of the episode is sansa and (laughs) no you're like, um. all right, let me pick something else that we haven't <laughs> talked about yet. No, but seriously, when you're watching it, I guess you could think back to the first time, or it's probably the same as how you felt tonight. When it was over, was your when you think back at it, were you overwhelmingly positive on it because of how well they executed the action and how well they put you in that environment? Because I know you don't like seek out entertainment like that. Yeah. You you might lead towards something else, but did they did they like transition you into it with the conversation and uh, the characters that we like there, like the new thin leader and Carsey and the Lord of bones being there and like the heartstrings that it would tug from reigniting some of those old relationships and conversations, or was it the conversation between um, Tyrion and Daenerys or was it the stuff in Winterfell or, you know, seeing 
Do you just like the episode because Cersei got beat in the face with a spoon <laughs> and you got to finally see her snobby will get broken after all the chapters we're doing for Game of Thrones? Yeah. <laughs> You're just yeah. like, finally. It was kind of satisfying to see vengeance. her like yell out of anger mm-hmm. when she couldn't like Control hurt herself. anyone. Yeah. No, I think that the thing, well, one thing I do want to get into a little bit is Carsey's character is by far to me a huge standout in not only a great moment of this episode, but just how well the showrunners and writers can create somebody and create a character like that that is so important to you after 30 seconds of being on your screen. I thought that was really cool. It helps having a good actress as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Also, Tyrion and Daenerys' conversation, I think that's my favorite conversation that the two of them have with each other. I feel like we get Tyrion and his at his best this entire season here in this episode with her and with the two of them. And it's something that people waited a really, really long time to see. And to me, um, I lost my train of thought. To me, the payoff is a hundred percent there. And so to have them talking about their fathers and talking about and kind of eyeing each other up and down, but knowing from off the bat that they were going to be friends and equals and colleagues i just that's such a standout moment and i think especially as we look into the next couple seasons and going so far off of the books and how sometimes Tyrion's character can be reduced to his little one-liners and quips to kind of put him in a more season six season seven type scenario but not reduced to one-liners and like having real conversations and doing some real advising. I just really, despite everything else happening in this episode, that was probably one of my favorite things about it. That is cool. Because did you feel like, and Danny too, I mean, it's feel it's, it's, it's them kind of meeting an equal and like the two of them being able to have a real conversation and like real, um, not no like connection or understanding over what they're trying to accomplish in general, even if it's not necessarily the same thing in practice, but kind of in theory. Is it the, uh, the feeling that you get by the end of the conversation where it dawns on you that maybe strategy and, and gamesmanship and, and who is who and what you can get from each other don't really apply here that they these guys like might do whatever business they're talking about based on the simple fact that they like each other mm-hmm. yeah and that's so kind of strange and that's what anybody could have ever hoped for with these two characters you know it almost seems impossible that that's actually happening yeah it doesn't happen a lot in the series we got right. a little whisper of it with john and uh and the uh and carsey the wildling leader and also we got some companionship with him and Tormund. we get like whispers of it but we mm-hmm. don't we don't really get the moment we don't get to see the like it happen in real time maybe we get to see it left over like it's not like john and Tormund got to got along immediately right but the seeds i feel like are planted in this episode of their eventual bromance that we get to see blossom in season seven i guess you could call it that but yeah also Maybe a little bit in the last episode with that weird look when like oh, yeah. <laughs> they were like yeah. against a member of the Night's Watch together. They were like both sort of stunting on another guy. God, that's so weird of John. Can you imagine? Like 
It's like you're already the Lord Commander. You don't have to go get the coolest wildling dude and then like be super <laughs> lonely with him too. Yeah, it's like we get it. But what did you I mean, I think that as somebody who is oh, these questions don't even apply anymore. I was gonna say you hadn't read the books, like seeing this for the first time, but that's the first time us as non book readers had had seen pretty quite a bit in this episode. So I don't know if that John and Danny John and Danny, LOL. Tyrion and Danny meeting, you feel that same weight as well. Well, how did you feel about seeing those two interact in a serious way? They got to inter- they got to sort of see each other in the last episode, and I didn't ask you that, but as a book reader, to, for that moment to happen yeah. outside of canon and the book series, that must have been like, hmm. Okay, so did you think, all right, in Winds of Winter, this is definitely what's going to happen. But Barristan is still going to be alive. I feel like, so I talked about this at the beginning of season five. I think that like I went through a phase where I was super, especially in the beginning of the book stuff being shown in the TV series before it came out and before it was written. I definitely went through a phase where it's like, oh, I hate this. I don't like that I worked so hard to read this series and to understand everything that's going on and to know all these theories and whatever to then have it shoved down my throat on the tv show just like everybody else it's like i can't believe i have to go through it with everybody else but i got over that pretty quickly because and just decided to enjoy it for what it was and so i can understand because i felt that way why seeing somebody like i keep wanting to say john and danny <laughs> it's period it's danny to it you know <laughs> it truly does <laughs> I can understand why, but even, I mean, it applies there, but I can understand why a meeting as big as Tyrion and Daenerys would be difficult to see on the screen for the first time because it's something that is so built up to in such a different way. But I don't know. I was just excited about it. I think that, like I said, I feel like this is Tyrion better than he's been all season. And so it was done well in my opinion and i felt like i was happy with the way that they played off each other and we got to see Tyrion kick jor out and he went into the wall and just looked at his grayscale for a while and it was all just really great so i felt like it paid off for me as a book reader in a way that was probably a similar experience to a show watcher do you think that they're gonna have a love triangle (laughs) oh i hope so (laughs) seriously that it would come to this. I know what Tyrion represents. I know what John represents. I know what Danny represents. And so do you. And so does everyone listening, for God's sakes. Do you think that that's what it's going to be? No. I. Well, I mean, let's talk. I mean, it's like the, I mean, the honestly, door scene. think about it. No. I know. But, no and way. she's not interested at all. Think there's about it. There's no way. If that is what, if that is what this is reduced to, is a love triangle between the three of them, I will be livid they said it was bittersweet i think it can be bittersweet without it being a love triangle i don't know why it has to be a love triangle do you think it's a love triangle no i don't think so but you said john and danny and then i was like thinking about how hmm so i'm gonna analyze Tyrion's first conversation with daenerys i'm gonna analyze john's first conversation with daenerys and see like how well she took to each of them and then hmm make my assumptions based off of things from there, but I don't know. Think about what they went through. She doesn't have feelings for Tyrion, but think about what her and John went through last season. Right. 
So Tyrion's not mad about, we've talked about this before like a hundred times, but based off of all this fresh evidence from Hardhome, we've seen them <laughs> go through so much again. Based off of everything that you know, what do you think that that door was actually about? I think that Tyrion understands the weight of what's going on in that door scene. And I also think he can see how the two of them having romantic feelings for each other can be a threat to what they're trying to accomplish. And so I think it's bittersweet in the sense of not that he's in love with her. He loves her, but he's not in love with her. But that he can see how this could get really messy. And how Danny. Like, you talk, think about her and her vulnerabilities in the TV show. There's not a ton of them. There's not, a like, a ton of things that are really going to destroy her claim to the throne. But somebody like John, regardless of him being a Targaryen and, like, their feelings for each other, I think could be big enough to destroy that. So I think that Tyrion can recognize all of that that's going on. I think that's what makes it bittersweet. What do you think he's afraid of? I think he's afraid of the two of them influencing each other in a way that is not beneficial for either of them. Like, she'll be more soft toward certain humanity-related efforts or maybe resource-related efforts, maybe like conditioning toward the North or, or she'll something? Just or, be, it- or she'll just be distracted. Or she'll just make decisions because... John wants her to, or because she'll not have the ability to put herself in dangerous situations or sacrifice things because she has something that she cares about more than regaining what's rightfully hers. Love is a dangerous thing. And so I think that Tyrion can see that. Do I mean, how do you read that? I think that you're right. I'm trying to think about what Tyrion might be aware of, what he might be afraid of happening. There's so much talk about Varys mm-hmm. in this episode, and it, re- it really, I really feel like they're giving him a lot of props, the way that they both talk about Varys in this sort of way where they give him like respect and his ability to pull things off, and also like the fact that they kind of acknowledge that he's the one who brought them together and that, that he was really right about, in, about everything, about them both being who they are and about especially so freshly to Tyrion about how much he'll feel like he's right at home and that this is the right thing to do mm-hmm. once he meets her. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty clear that like his whole momentum shifts. You can really tell when he's talking to Jorah that he's just kind of everything. It's just different. You know, he doesn't have any hard feelings for Jorah. And uh, I think that he really could. And so that matters. It's exactly. a small indicator of how things are, but. It's a really short amount of time when you think about the amount that he's changed. There's definitely a more realistic arc of him going through pain, and I'm sure we'll see the the other side of it in the Winds of Winter if George ever finishes writing that goddamn book. Oh, well, we just spent like a half hour talking about that before we started recording. <laughs> there'll be, uh, we'll see how he sort of climbs out of that hole physically. After I feel like he's already kind of getting there, getting there mentally. But that's what makes I think, and I think also like I was saying before. You can see that shift in Tyrion. This is some of his best moments of the season to date. And that's not just because he, the two of them together are just like a powerhouse, but also because I think that we're supposed to feel that way because he's finally, I mean, he basically tells Danny that he pretty much wanted to die until he, until Varys told him that this was what 
he needed to be doing. That's crazy. Yeah. He wanted he, he wanted to die. And she's like, well, Varys has been trying to kill me or at least being completely aware of my efforts. And it kind of seems like uh, she is sort of half-ass acknowledging that if he really wanted her dead during at any of that point, he would have actually killed her. Well, that's what T- Tyrion says to her, basically. He says, and I don't know if I wrote it down specifically, but he says that um, Varys is the reason why, let's see. Tyrion says, oh yeah, Varys is the only reason why she wasn't slaughtered in her crib. Man. And I also think it's interesting when Tyrion says that Varys is maybe the only person in the world that he trusts except for his brother, which I think is a huge honor to be given to somebody like Varys. And I like that, especially in the show, we don't necessarily get to see how really he's running things. And so to kind of nod to that when... I mean, when's the last time we thought about Varys? I guess it was a couple episodes ago. But I think it's easy to lose track of him. Wow, that's Um, so neat when you think about what we just got in the last episode. This sort of, uh, not quite a hammer, but Baelish has been slowly dropping a hammer over the past 12 episodes or so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for them to, for for that to be such a casual conversation with such big characters, it kind of equals what's happening in Littlefinger's side of the story, what Varys is up to. Like, Varys is also impacting some pretty large things. Yeah. And and it's coalesced into this meeting in this room right now, not to mention other things that have happened and will continue to happen. I wonder what that means exactly, because he's nowhere to be found, and he trusts, or Tyrion trusts him as much as he trusts Jamie, and both of them are kind of supposedly going to be in the same region. And then maybe all three of them are going to be in the same place. That would be pretty interesting. And then maybe everybody will be at Winterfell. <laughs> you know that's going to happen, right? In the <laughs> final season, there's going to be, it's going to be like episode four. That's why I said there, it. <laughs> there's going to be so many gifts, so many moments. It's going to be unreasonable. I'm stressed and also excited. <laughs> there's so many one-liners that I just feel like I need to quote. Like the breaking the wheel moment between the two of them. And when Tyrion also says that he's the greatest Lannister killer of our time. Yeah. And when he's going on and on about how he's not sure if she deserves his service. A lot of great one-liners between the two of them. There's a lot of great one-liners in this episode, period. This episode is really good. I would personally love if we could stop the podcast and I can watch it again and then we could start back again, <laughs> even though I watched it one hour ago. Um, aside from everything that was happening at, at Marine, is there anything else pre- Hard home that really stood out to you. I liked when Sansa figured out that her brothers were still alive. Yay. I wonder what's going on there exactly. I guess it was all about setting up that Sansa learns that they're still alive. But I feel like this episode just had some pretty huge moments. Maybe something could have happened in Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Just just to make it equivalent to the rest of them. It's not like it was bad or anything, though. We spent so much time at Winterfell lately, though. That's that true. I'm like... We, I didn't need to see another like forty minutes of Ramsey. Maybe they could have just not gone there altogether. They could have really punched up. I love the stuff in Bravos when we got a different view and there was like voiceover and she was telling the story and referencing the the different street names mm-hmm. and uh, and she was headed to Ragman's Harbor and seeing the Thin Man and the Gambler and their little exchange. That was cool. That had some like a Guy Ritchie sort of feeling, like a disjointed 
playing with the form. And we always like when Game of Thrones makes those efforts to bring in different styles into their episodes. Arya is an interesting character to play with, and Bravos is a fun location. So you can make a lot of creative decisions. You can do anything with the music. You can do anything with the camera. You can do anything with the voiceover. And they did. Finally. They did. <laughs> right, though? I mean, this was the best Bravo so scene true. in season so five. So far, yeah. And it's episode eight, for God's sakes. I wonder what the deal is. Like, if if it's just so hard to make those ten episodes, you know? And so one of those fight scenes, they're just going to be just, just jiggling think, around. I don't know. I do want to say, I think that, A, Sansa's in this episode because it's a very Stark-centric episode. So I like that she was in it, even if it was for 30 seconds. B, this totally was the best Arya montage of season five. And her saying oysters, clams, and cock- cockles over and over and over again is everybody's fave. Also, Jacken, when he was like, <clears throat> it, it's it's so funny. It's like the game of faces has like turned on its head. She's telling the story about who she's becoming to go do a job for them. She's been basically inducted to a degree enough that she has seen the Hall of Faces. If you guys remember those just towering pillars full of faces with no ladders in sight. She's reading off the the details for the new job. This is kind of like a, a moment in the James Bond movie. We didn't get to see the equipment montage, but he's, he's getting the info. And uh, he's about to head out. And... Uh, she just tries to keep him on his toes. Like she's been trained enough. You know what I mean? So like, mm-hmm. you know, when the, the student tries to test the master a little bit and she like fudges the detail on the road just to mess with him. And he's like, mm-hmm. all right, you know enough, get out there. It's, it almost seems like the game of faces was never really a thing at all. You know what I right. mean? Right. And, and and they're just basically some, some weird criminals sort of, I mean, we can be more godly about it. But oh, I like wanna... that though. I kind of love that though. Yeah, right. It's kind of strange. They've got some cool like underground thing going, and she's out on a mission finally. That's basically. I guess what that's it is. what it is. Yeah, and they don't like really acknowledge it. They still talk between them, like, okay, you know, we're gonna pretend like you're no one, and you know, you're an expert in lying and all this stuff, and really, you're just a ruthless, ruthless criminal. And you've completely blocked out the concerns of others because you've made it uh, the you have such a close connection with the people in this order, you know, like you owe so much to each other and you guys hold each other. It's just such a high standard that the game is being played in your head and you're basically just you're you're no one. You're you're yeah. not in that body when you're in that body. You know what I mean? You're playing a different game. You're, you're making you want to be part of it. It's crazy, <laughs> right? I love being part of stuff. That is crazy. I love being in cults. And and right and Faye's like or Faye, that's the actress's name for God's sakes, who plays the wave. <laughs> Fuck me. The wave's like She's not ready yet. Yeah. Like, hey, man, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're in this together. You know what I'm I I, I work here too. I don't I don't think she's ready. I don't like this. Well one. then here's my great question is how come I mean, I don't want to say that they're not taking it seriously in this episode because they are, but how come adding a lightness a little bit to kind of taking, doling the tone down a little bit to the House of Black and White brings it up a notch, where in Dorne, doling the tone about a little bit and making it lighter makes it so terrible. You know what I God, mean? That is Isn't such that a good point. That is such a good, well, it's because it's so weird. 
it's dark and 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 strange and they do have this weird magic it seems although i kind of like the idea that it's still like the weird tarantino movie and that's actually jack and hagar just pretending like i have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. and like they, he really buys into this cult and the wave really it. is the wave yeah and like maybe they've just convinced aria that she's changing her face and that they've, she's just gone all the way crazy. Mm-hmm. Maybe they all do that. They take enough. I don't know. There's some kind of psychedelic drug in there. Take or something. enough what? Some kind of drug. Maybe they're drugging them. Who knows, man? Who knows? But w- they could do anything. Think yeah. about what they believe in. It's true. That and is a really weird deal. Well, and especially to like see it. Not that she really does anything, but to see her out kind of in the world with that knowledge makes it exciting. The knowledge that they can change their faces or that they're all crazy <laughs> the knowledge that they wield some sort of power you know what i mean what do you think the power is exactly when it really boils down to it any group like that is going to be powerful regardless of what they think they do or don't have i'm interested in in the book series how important things like dragon binder and the technology around the ability to do stuff like that will be we got to see the night king do that in the series i was thinking about that this entire episode about how he like threw us <laughs> through a spear in the air no about how straight his back was when he was oh god he flies so well <laughs> if you haven't been paying attention you should re-watch season seven i remember us watch trying to record that episode and it just every time it just like made me laugh but anyway that's a whole different conversation but i'm right there with you i feel like there's some real power and magic there it's gonna be really interesting to explore what that actually means and who that actually touches versus who thinks that they have it or wants it badly well if they show the night king stealing a dragon in the tv show there's probably going to be a dragon theft in the book series and i'm wondering or ice dragon just in general yeah maybe coming out of the wall or something yeah that would be crazy if an ice dragon comes out of the wall there's probably a lot of other stuff that would come out of the wall too i think there's more probability of an ice dragon coming out of the wall or something like that than there is of the Night King stealing a dragon, one of Danny's dragons. Hmm. I don't know if we'll get to see the Night King or if there'll be an even more insane bad guy. I don't know. That gets revealed like at the end. Yeah. I know people don't like those theories and that it's kind of silly, but the Night King kind of looks like Bran. No, I mean, not not really. <laughs> oh my gosh, I hate I that I think it's though. more the three-eyed raven that looks yeah. like Bran a little bit. Well, here's the thing, though. So we're in this episode. We're seeing the Night King. We're seeing White Walkers. We're seeing stuff happening at King's Landing where Cersei is seemingly losing a lot of her power. We're seeing them scheming at Winterfell. dude. We know High Sparrow loves being barefoot. Does that any of that even matter? You know? Like, there's a lot of... We're talking about a lot of exciting stuff with Tyrion and Daenerys and what Arya is up to in Bravos and everything. But when you're at the end, I think the thing that makes this episode so powerful, especially when you're watching it for the very first time, when you get to the end of that and you see what John sees and you realize what John realizes, which is that literally none of that matters. None of that matters. The only stuff that does matter is the power that the whites, I guess they don't wield any power, the power that the Night King and the power that the White Walkers and whatever entity any all of this is 
that they wield and that's it. It's like the power that they have and then the power that we have against them. That's all that matters. Yeah. Which is no power against them because if anything, everything has just been made worse. And so we were talking about this at the very beginning of us recording, which is they could have made Hard Home a bottle episode. But I guess that that may not have had as big of an impact when you layer it on top of us getting brief touch points of all these Mm. super big political issues happening dotted in and then at the end it's like "Hmm, guess you can't do that with every episode that's probably why we like this one so much Mm -hmm. and even thinking about like danny's lannister targaryen baratheon stark tyrell it's like all these little pieces of hey remember all the stuff that we've cared about yeah boiled down into none of that matters and you're gonna call it hard home it's just that name come on yeah it's a weird name. It's a weird name. It sounds tough. It sounds uninviting. It carries it's a ton a- of weight. If you want your TV show to be cool, Breaking Bad has some episodes that are pretty cool. And they feel like they're a pretty good show. And I know that the people behind Game of Thrones are huge Breaking Bad fans based on a lot of things. Not only snagging some of those directors. If if you're Breaking Bad, you've got some episodes that you can you can you can say, "Hey, go watch this one. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll know what I'm talking about." But none of them have the style and the flavor that the people behind GOT have when they're like, hey, you can just check out Hard Home. It's called Hard Home. Yeah, but you don't want to watch Hard Home as a by itself. No, you're right. But if you do go turn on Hard Home, because some people don't have time to watch five seasons of a TV show to get the dramatic effect the right way. If you do go turn it on, you're going to see a White Walker walk into a burning hut. And like calmly take out the guy who's been a jackass to Jon Snow the whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it kind of feels like 28 days later for a little bit. And there's weird zombie horsemen on top of a mountain. It kind of just illustrates everything that you're going to get up to in this ep- in this TV show. Mm-hmm. That's true. It might be a good one to show people. It ruins a lot. But it, it if people watch that and they're into it at all then you're like, all right, well, you're going to get that, but it's going to be spread over a very long time. Is it is the payoff the same, though, you know? I think, or I hope at least, at the end of all this, when we look at GOT as a whole, that there's going to be a lot of the weird metaphysical stuff, and it's going to be answered, and that it'll give, that those moments will be big enough that they sort of paint our overall memory of it. Kind of how we think of the door, and it's such a, big tentpole moment in the series but it was only one scene mm-hmm. you know there's a lot wild. of boring stuff that led up to that this time next year we'll be able to do that yeah that is pretty crazy it's not wild i wonder how much we'll have decided that that's however they end up ending the series i wonder how much we'll say that's how song of ice and fire ends how much we're all sort of acknowledged between us that it's gonna have it's gonna be like this 40 percent so do you, do you think that it's going to be the opposite of what we've grown up seeing where, you know, the series ends in the author's intended way, albeit a little bit askewed by the popularity of what they're working on? Hell, we're talking about Harry Potter. Come on. Talking about <laughs> Harry Potter. And we're also talking about, for all you Twilight fans out there, Stephanie Meyer <laughs> went through it. All right. And I okay. think the Suzanne Collins went through it with the Hunger Games too. And I, I, I think I know that there's more, and I'm sure that it's really tough. I'm sure that it's really tough. 
I have no idea things. what that would be like. It's hard enough making a podcast or podcast plural about the thing that people are struggling to have to make. Yeah. And there's no pressure on making this. It's just the kind of pressure you put on yourself. So these people are pretty impressive. They're high performing. They're working with a lot of people that are impressive and that care about making a cool thing and that all get along enough to make this happen. So that's cool enough as it is. What the hell are we talking about? What's your point? <laughs> yeah, what the fuck are we talking about? We're talking, talking about, about the end game of all of this, which is, are we going to be, what you're asking is, are we going to be happy with it? And the answer is no. Oh, yeah. Is this going to be different where it's flipped? The author's going through a similar thing or creative people are going through, you know, reaching critical mass and having fan communities form and opinions and, you know, someone that was a character in the hearts of many people now become like a, a visual meme that permeates all human culture and means so much more and will continue to reverberate and mean so much more in the culture for decades and who knows how much longer mm -hmm. we don't have a model to to know to understand how far it could go so let's check mark yeah there's there's that pressure as well is it that we're seeing it it's like in reverse the tv show is going to say everything and then you can go back and get all of the juicy details no. and and learn how <laughs> no. it, it didn't really end no. in like a, the Great Hall or whatever or outside the Great Hall. No. Did you watch season seven? You know what I mean? Like, did you watch John and Danny in the cave looking at weird like cave drawings and think this is really what the end game looks like? <laughs> you know? But what if it is, though? What if it's just a really simplified version? Or, or even, okay, what what if it isn't? Here's the thing. Will the end of Game of Thrones be as good as the ending of Lost? The answer to that is never. So I understand that that's something to live up to. There's no way, like, and I don't want to be a hater, but there's no way that they're going to be able to end season eight in a way that is satisfying to anybody. You know what I mean? You look at, like, you look at the, you know that it's true. You look at the pillar episodes of Game of Thrones, like Hard Home. The reason why this episode is so good is because we end with John slowly drifting away from this hell that he is seeing build up in front of his eyes in silence, knowing that the worst is yet to come. Like when has there ever when has a resolution ever happened in Game of Thrones that felt right? Look at like Arya and Sansa's reunion. That was so that's like everything anybody could have ever dreamed of, and it just came off so poorly. Oh, God, you know, you're not giving me any hope. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, and I'm a, I'm not trying to be a hater because I love Game of Thrones, and I think that there are going to be things that we really like, but we can never say with the way that the show trajectory has gone in. I really, I really love season six of Game of Thrones. I think season six is really great. I think season six is probably better than season seven it's definitely better than season five but seasons like i just look at the trajectory of like season seven and where it's going for season eight is we're gonna get more of those sansa aria reunions john and danny in the cave i drink and i know things was that from season six that kind of stuff you know there's no way that they can do they haven't done a good enough job in season seven trying to wrap up these big endpoints like there's no way that they can without any real direction they've been working backwards which is what we talked about a lot in season seven 
You know, it's like they have this endpoint they're trying to get to working backwards. And so maybe we'll get the payoff, but I really don't think so. And I don't think that that's a bad thing either. You know, that's the joy of us having these multiple mediums to play with because being the people that we are, we enjoy this kind of analysis. And so it makes the process more fun for me. But I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like. How many people do you think get to make up their, like, get to decide how it's resolved then? You think it's just David and Dan? I think. That are like, all right, this is how it's going to end for Sansa. Well, this is what we talked about in season seven a lot. It's like, and what we knew going into season seven is that David and Dan received X amount of, I can't remember the specific number, if there's a specific number floating around in there, X amount of plot points that they had to hit in season seven. And we see the way the season was structured is that they mapped out those plot points and then they tried to connect the dots to get them there. And so I think that they have those plot points for season eight. So those big decisions aren't made. They just are trying to fill in the gaps to get there. What do you think that they should do differently when approaching those? Nothing. Like, There's nothing it, they can do differently. It's not their fault, you know? Like, well, do you think so it would help to, to have to. more of those those like moments in the sequences where it feels less polished? Kind of remember how like the White Walker in this episode is approaching John, or even when it cut away to the Night King a couple times, it was a more. It, it almost looked like a, in photography, if the shutter speeds up, it appears like a when the camera's moving, like it's tracing across the screen quicker, and so it feels like a little bit more fast, like kind of more actiony. And a lot of those uh, zombie shots had that as well. You know, like when the the White Walker was like looking at him, and he was walking toward the John, or walking toward the John, walking toward <laughs> John. He's the John. No, when he was walking toward John, um, it was like sometimes you see a White Walker, and he looks really well animated and really supremely lit, and you can tell this is going to be a screen cat, a screenshot later, and a promo image. And sometimes you see him, and he's just like gritty, and he's just standing in the environment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do you think? When I watch stuff like season seven, when I see how big it is and how epic it is, and I see how clearly how much money is behind it and like how unbelievably good it is compared yeah. to even itself, it's right. its, a, its own show. Uh, and I think like, wow, how proud they must be, the cinematographers that, that are able to like to say this is what I need to make this effect happen, to make it look like this. And they're like, done. And you're like, wait, wait a second. You know, like how much uh, a director imagine because this director is coming back for the final season and for what I'm assuming are going to be some pretty death defying violent acts by some of our yeah. favorite characters. Imagine what it's like for him to be like, all right, well, I'm going to need this to pull this off. And they're like, based on hard home done to be put I'm in that really position. Excited. I mean, that, that just changes everything. Here you go. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope so. And I don't doubt that everyone's going to I mean, be watching eight, from like a cinematic perspective. It's like exactly like you said. They're going to continue to outdo themselves, and so they they will, and they have. You know, I think that there's none of us can really have any issues with the way that it looks in the last two seasons that we've seen. It's, I mean, season seven is unparalleled in the beauty of the environments and the epicness. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable, and so. You know, that's only going to continue to improve. So you don't think having more of those sort of gritty looking low budget. I mean, you could just call them shots, I guess. I know it doesn't seem like it 
it makes that big of a difference. But I really think it adds up in a in a medieval show like this where there's just dirt. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why the original Lord of the Rings films felt and- so... Yeah. Awesome. When I watch those films, I'm just like every shot looks like a painting, but almost like a lo-fi painting. Sometimes it gets to the point where it feels like, oh, this could be a moment that could be on a poster. But it's it's not like the mm-hmm. new Hobbit films where they had all the money in the world and they had all the time to plan the perfect stuff. It's like, yes, I see that it's beautiful, but for some reason, it's just not landing the same way in my gut. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Right. But I know I feel a little bit more scared when the White Walkers are walking across the snow versus being lit by the best things <laughs> and having all the CGI on their face or the straightest back. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it, puts, it puts you in. It puts you in it. It puts you in it. And I, they do such an amazing job with so many of these battle sequences where you feel you don't know where to look because you're disoriented because so many things are are going on it it helps that we haven't had any real cool fantastical elements in this season very often um and so with all of the this is exactly what you're saying it's like the dirt and the grit of it it's you don't know where to look because you're kind of in it with them and i totally agree but i think that it very obviously takes an unbelievably high production value to put you into that oh wow exact frame of mind you know don't you think well to be dirty and gritty but to also be polished yeah because you're you're hbo you're you're the biggest tv show of all time and you have you don't have necessarily like like this doesn't have to happen you can do whatever you want and, and if you have a thick enough skin, which you should, just be able to take whatever criticism comes your way and be fine with it. But if you're in the position to make a decision and your decision is we got to blow this thing out and make it the coolest TV show possible. We got to try to make some really new, cool things happen that have not been able, like that people haven't had the opportunity to do before because no one's had this amount of money or this amount of time or this amount of eyeballs looking to see how you're going to end it or this wealth of characters where you can express all of these emotions and people are going to buy it because it's it's been proven that they're going to watch because they've watched so much up until this point and it's become this important to people like you know what i mean like who's Mm -hmm. behind these decisions really i guess we're going to find out at the end of the series like how how important it is to everyone so that's no big deal it's all, I almost feel like we're like, it's like too existential of a conversation to be having near the end of season five. But I think that that's just, those are the feelings that are brought up as we're dealing with what John's dealing with. Maybe season five is that think about it. sobering season for the characters in the story, but also the world that watches the show and also everyone that's making it where season four was a big deal and over Martell is dead. So things are different. Dorn is in the story now. Ugh. George is <laughs> like, we're going to have to we're end this thing. Murdered. What happens now? Well, we're going to just have to meet the night King. How do we meet him? Well, he arrives like Satan would and yeah. he raises, raises the dead and he raises his arms and he says, come at me. Everyone said, come at me crow immediately. But to see the power that he wields, I mean, so, 
in watching the after the episode or inside the episode or whatever, they talk about the whites as um, they describe them as lemmings, which I thought was such an interesting way to talk about them as they're all diving. That's okay. This is a cool shot in the whole episode, which is all of the l- little guys diving off the side of the cliff mm-hmm. and realizing they're indestructible. And I thought that calling them lemmings was such an interesting way to describe them because they're just lemmings. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? Like it was Those such lemmings a cool. lemmings actually leap off the side of a cliff too. So yeah, it was that. such a cool way to describe them and to kind of like. Just in case you forgot, this is what we could be going up against in seasons to come, but uh, with even more money and even more dead people. Yeah. With even more. I mean, the amount of people that they gained from this battle alone. Yeah. It's cool. Think about the White Walkers walking through this wall in Hardhome and the aerial shot of all their people. And then think about the one where they were walking through the wall. Man. It's, yeah. And Valyrian steel is a light in the darkness. You know what is so cool is that moment with the Valyrian steel when the night king, or when the, when they kind of realize that. Jon Snow has some, like it's probably one of the first times they've ever come across somebody who can do anything about them. That's got to be kind of terrifying for them, right? Like that. So when the when the when Longclaw hits the sword and doesn't do anything, the look in both of their eyes of the realization of what that means it's like a game changer in the middle of the game changing scene. Mm-hmm. Do you remember how you like? Do you remember seeing that for the first time? Yeah, I was excited. It was like, okay, now it's all making sense, and I think I can, I can stop being so non-literal and and spooky about what might happen in Song of Ice and Fire. George R. R. Martin is a human, and and yeah, this Valyrian steel stuff is gonna like, it's gonna have something to do with this story, and like, before too long, we're gonna start getting answers to things that seem like they're mysteries. And when I saw Jon Snow's sword could function like obsidian all the other technologies based off of the people in old Valyria and what they came up with started to make a lot more sense to me. And mm-hmm. I started to just connect a lot of dots because when you create worlds, you, you said you, George R. R. Martin at least has come from a, a scientific point of view from a lot of different things. And the way that he's weaving this uh, magic together, he seems to have uh, a pretty clear, it makes a lot more sense once I see that it, it does work like obsidian it's rooted in something real yeah Mm -hmm. it's not just really sharp indestructible steel it's imbued with uh, a a sort of magical energy that i don't think was intended to defeat white walkers but is a nice side effect Mm -hmm. that was such a cool moment that was cool and they've got the sound cut and you hear breathing. You don't hear the other people fighting. You hear the wind. I love and it. And the the sword is glancing across the snow, and it's reverberating. And uh, Game of Thrones doesn't get stylized like that all too often, so it really brings the tension down. It looked like John was going to lose that fight, and man, that fight was like I've seen it before, and I know he's going to be all right, and I know that there's even more intense stuff later on. But dude, when he's in that hut. That's like the darkest. That's just like 
if if you're on drugs, don't watch that scene because it's just dark. It's just Jon Snow working through a lot of his shit in that hut. You got to look away. That White Walker's just throwing him around. You got to look away. You know, well, it's deal with that. so real because it's so real. We've never. I mean, this is this is we've always seen battle sequences where we've understood both sides up until this point. But we can't understand the other side at all. And so I think that that just adds this extra element of fear because there's no, from our perspective, rhyme or reason behind the way that they're operating. And so John is just so vulnerable. And it, uh, like I was saying, it, it, hold, it continues to hold up watch after watch. Like you don't, that doesn't get taken away from you. That suspense is still absolutely there. That is cool. That there's a thing that we can press play on and it'll make you feel that way. I know, right? Yeah, that's a well-executed sequence. It's really it, neat. It really is spooky. It really is dark. And you you don't know what's going to happen. Even when you've seen it, you're like, is that White Walker going to just pop out and just like suck the soul out of his body? Did they do that? Is that what they do now? We don't know. <laughs> we it's don't spooky. Know. I liked it. it and nothing cool. gets resolved. Nothing gets resolved. There's no, yeah, we just have more questions. Yeah, we there's got some no hope, hope and more questions. Yeah. Well, we got hope from the sword, though, a little oh, bit. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's And also, true. like, if there, if anyone's questioning Jon Snow, even the wildlings at this point, or sorry, excuse me, the free folk, 1-1, <laughs> one, one, to the sea. I just love that. I, uh, I'm always a sucker for A, montages and voiceovers, and B, when they don't, when they take the music out of it. It just gets me every time. I live for that. So good. Destroying whites with a giant piece of timber, flaming timber. I was thinking about how far he would wade into the sea and swim and then eventually pull himself onto a ship and like how strong those ships are. What? <laughs> one, one, the giant. You know what I mean? Like oh, he yeah, went yeah, out in the yeah, water. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He had to climb onto a ship, right? I was so thinking was- that's got to be impossible. It's like climbing, I think, like when we're climbing out of a pool. It's how it'd be for him, just grabbing the edge and pulling himself up. It's not a pretty sight. No. Although I think it would be awesome, especially after. It's like not the way they would have wanted him to get on the ship, but like no one can complain after what just happened on the shore. It's It makes total sense that he would have to go out there like that. Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder how and far just, he had to walk before he had to start swimming. That's what I was wondering too. Like, when did it become <laughs> deep? And did you see how when the Night King walked across the deck at first and he started looking at John, how they were looking to the left? They both were kind of like looking to the left. No, it I looked didn't, mysterious. I didn't notice that. It looked mysterious. Like there was some kind of unresolved thing, or like the Night King just had something. He had something to to do. It seemed it seemed like, and I know that there was a lot of mysterious theories and questions that I've I've never seen the end of uh, when it comes to who the Night King might be and his relation to Jon Snow and uh, why you know was he just was he showing off like this was he stunt like low key flexing <laughs> not was he high key flexing on Jon Snow just because of the Valyrian steel thing I think that he didn't know about the Valyrian steel thing until this. So he's just kind of like a a reptilian-minded bad guy, and that's even worse. Maybe he's not plotting a whole lot, but he's planned enough to have chains at least. We'll get to that later. I think he's plotting now. I think that that look of recognition between them is him realizing that John, he may have met his match. Really? Not necessarily in Jon Snow himself specifically, but he's met his match in the sense of 
there is something that can defeat him or something that he's vulnerable to. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they've really run into that situation much before. We don't really know a lot about – I mean, I guess we know a little bit about the backstory with them, but not a whole lot. It's so hard to speculate because I, I don't know how much of his technology is worth knowing about the way that it's used in the show. I don't know. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. if the Night King is is using the green side in it, or if they even like think about that, if just he was like in a bad dream and, and Bran went to the Night King's bad dream and that's how, you know, he found Bran. Who knows? You know what I'm saying? Oh, remember when the Night King grabbed Bran's arm? Oh, yeah. His posture was great then as well. It was. I don't know if he's you remember. Always, he's always got really great posture. Mm-hmm. It's because it's so cold. He just has to, his spine is frozen solid. It's just frozen straight. Mm-hmm. It's got to be real uncomfortable. You, you do notice, uh, this is the first time we saw the the night, well, second time, I guess, because we saw him before when he was uh, changing the, the little, baby. Yeah, yeah. But did you notice he's, the Night King is like, he's an ice king. Get it? Like, he's from the north. He looks really icy. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how did you feel about how they styled him? And they changed it. They so changed it. They might not have liked it at all, but I thought he was scary. Yeah, I think that's, Totally think I missed him when they changed him. There's honestly nothing. I mean, look, when you see all the horsemen up on the ridge in the Oof. shadows, it doesn't matter what he's wearing after you see that, you know, yeah. for me. That in and of itself is menacing enough. Also, they walk too slow. They're pretty scary because they walk so slow. They do walk really slow. They're like I'm- Michael Myers, dude. <laughs> I'm here for all that biblical imagery, though. So Yeah, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. When when it happened, we were we were talking about it like we would say it was almost like it was the four horsemen of the apocalypse or something. Little did I know, I guess my naive self only just a few years ago didn't think, hey, that's probably what they based it on. That's literally <laughs> what it is. Like literally what it is. <laughs> For sure. That's I mean, I that's would think that that's almost a given in my really mind. Really embarrassing. That's okay. So it's not as deep as it seems, ladies and gentlemen. Man, I feel like we were all, I feel like I was all over the map with this episode in the highs of how beautiful it was and how great this episode is coming off of season, where we are in season five to like the lows of the end game. And like, I just feel like I've been an emotional roller coaster talking about this episode. I feel the same I don't know way. if you feel the same no, way. No, I definitely do. I'm glad that we're talking about it. It's all very exciting. It is exciting. It's cool that we can, like I said, press play on something that has repeat value. And I'm thinking about all the possibilities of the final season and all those moments. And don't you see it? Like when I was saying it earlier, did you not just kind of see all of it? Yeah. Yes. Happening, just kind of like popping up in your head. That's crazy. Yes. That's going to be a crazy TV show. That's going to be the best one for sure. Yeah. There's just too many characters. There's just too many good characters. They put in the work. And they're like, okay, well, we paid all of these people this amount of time. We wrote all of this stuff for this amount of time. Here it is. We wrote all of this in 10 minutes. Yeah. This was a 10-minute writing job. We're talking about Winterfell season seven. It took us 10 <laughs> minutes. I need to stop saying <laughs> stuff like that. It feels good to get it out, though, right? It it truly does. It honestly it does. Really does. I feel like emotionally drained in the best way. That's why Rewatch the Throne is the best, because we get to go through the series again. And, you know, just see it for what it is. Even Hard Home, I'll admit, guys, Hard Home, I could see some things that I hadn't seen before. I was like, all right. Oh, I thought you meant some Well, bad I just things. wondered why we had to 
keep the camera on the guy with the arrow through his head for like four seconds. It was like, yeah, it's really scary. Mm. Oh yeah. Before yeah, I would have, yeah, yeah. I would have been like, that doesn't matter. I would have totally ignored it. I'd be like, he's he's more than a man. He's an artist. <laughs> Hard home. Overall, great episode. Makes you forget the sin- sins of season I five. I think this is still the highest Almost. rated episode. No, it's the second highest after uh, the Winds of Winter. Both great episodes. I Googled it. Wouldn't it have been funny if the episode popped up before the book? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Winds of Winter has a 9.9 <laughs> out of 10 on IMDb. So you know it's good. So you know, you know it's, it's good. good. What does Hard Home have? I love IMDb. Yeah, me too. I just love it. They have Hard Home has a 9.9 too. It has. Guys, 9.9. What more so could you stupid. want? All right. We're, we're literally... But it has 69,999 votes. That's a lot of votes. Guys, it's a 9.9. That means people felt compelled to go to that website and to give it a perfect score. It deserves it. All right. So it's totally worth our time to keep making this podcast. All right, guys. We're going to keep making Rewatch the Throne because you like Hard Home so much, right? I can't wait till we finish game of thrones and then we go back to the beginning again <laughs> oh yeah it's gonna be re-watch the throne it's gonna be awesome yeah everyone's gonna be like please stop it's gonna be whatever the next jay-z and kanye west collab album is called that's what it's gonna be oh, yeah named after does everybody get that joke i don't think so <laughs> just like please everybody okay <laughs> anyway that's hard home for you what was your favorite moment of the entire episode I'm going to give my own of the episode to Tormund Giant Spain for just beating the Lord of Bones to death. And also <laughs> yeah. David and Dan for writing that into this episode. He was a big character before. You guys made him seem scary and spooky and interesting in season two. You didn't let him be in the scene with Mance Raider. I mean, I guess he wasn't necessary, but it was totally cool to just let Tormund kill him in front of everyone to show the world how serious this shit is. NBD. I'm going to give my own to Carsey because I feel like we only briefly touched on it, but I just feel like her little arc within this episode itself was so good. And she was just one of the highlights of this episode for me, big time. I like how she was this amazing leader in the wildling community. And she's got all this strength, but she's also like this cool mom and but she's not over the top i just felt like she was done really really well so my own to carsey who um rocked it out in this episode she died doing what she loved killing whites giving into the whims of her spoiled children <laughs> oh that was creepy <laughs> as heck though when all oh, those God, kids were was. looking at her yeah that was really something else yeah it was so that's our owns of hard home hard home I'm not disappointed that it brought up a lot of feelings about the end of the series because I think that this probably has a lot of that same vibe, which I wouldn't be disappointed about. And maybe that'll be how the series ends. Maybe the series will end in a way that it it's not – the responsibility isn't on anyone to say this is definitively how things are. Maybe it'll be more open-ended. Maybe it'll be something that we can all – feel how we want to feel about like the end of this episode like you said hannah i think that is a really astute observation on how we're so emotionally attached to an episode of the series in the same season that people laugh about other attempts at being dramatic Mm -hmm. 
this one is hallowed enough to reach 9.9 on IMDb. IMDb. (laughs) For the love of God. I just want to say that Ramsey, he says, he wants to, they're talking about fighting Stannis. I forgot he was in this episode. Yeah, me too. He's, which is fine, but he says, we hit first, we hit hard, and leave a feast oh, for the crows. Oh, yeah. I was like, yes! Yeah. I love it every time they do that! Yeah. I wish you would have looked at the camera when he said it, though. Yeah, me too. That's no, so that's true. That's so true. That would have been so Give good. Me 20 good men. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah, we would love to see Ramsey with 20 good men. I have a lot of friends that would like to see Ramsey with 20 good men, also. <laughs> And with yeah. that, <laughs> <laughs> you can send in owns to the podcast if you'd like to share with us how you feel about things. And if it's on Twitter, we'll also share it with everyone else. That is at Game of Owns on Twitter. And we also have Instagram where we post Instagram stories of us recording the episode in uh, increasingly more creative ways. Right, Hannah? Mm-hmm. I got the, uh, the, I'm trying to master the anchoring skill where you, uh, can pin something to the background and still move the camera around. Oh, I don't yeah. have that mastered yet. It's really difficult. You'll get there. That's at Game of Owns as well, which is also the name of the other podcast. Yeah, if you want to check out our other show, Game of Owns, where we're going through our reading order of the last two currently published books in A Song of Ice and Fire, you can check out our reading order at afeastwithdragons.com. Or you can check out the podcast at GameOfOwns.com. And what were the last chapters that we did on that podcast? It was Tyrion 9 and Cersei 9. Oh, yeah. We got some great uh, sibling rivalry. Not rivalry. Not at all. I guess sort of. But oh, some, definitely. Some they great sibling other. happenings going on over at Game of Owns. So. Some really crazy storms. There was this uh, red priest named Okoro. He's on the the deck of a ship with his arms just in the sky, yelling, <laughs> yelling at that. lightning. And he's he's so convinced that what he's doing is going to make a difference in what's happening in the sky. It does. The little do they know they're in the eye of the storm. Jesus. So if you want more Game of Thrones, you can check us out over there at Game of Bones. Thanks for listening, everyone. That is it. Hard home. Bye. <laughs>